Hey guys, welcome back. Today I'm going to talk about why we need Christianity from an atheist perspective. I am an atheist. I am not a Christian. But I'm going to defend Christianity. This is not me coming out as a Christian like Ayn Hirsi Ali did recently, which is why I'm doing this presentation. Ayn Hirsi Ali, the famous atheist, she mentioned in passing on some panel that she was now a Christian, and then she wrote an essay about it, why I am now a Christian. You can go check that out. I... uh I don't think she made arguments that were that profound. I don't think, I mean, I and her, Ali, you know, she's really brave. And what she did as an Islamic apostate is, you know, that's about as brave as you can be. She's not really a philosopher, though. But she essentially says, look, I am in solidarity with the West, with Western civilization. And Christianity is a part of that. You know, all its, whatever its flaws are. Christianity gave birth to Western civilization. It's an intricate part of it, so she's now a Christian and in, like, in solidarity. And so this brings up the old debate. Christians say, yes, Western values exist because of Christianity. Atheists say, well, at best. I mean, a lot of atheists don't defend Western values, but at best, atheists will say Western values exist despite Christianity. So which one is it? I think they're both wrong. And of course, you know, the blind spot here in this debate, which I'm going to touch on, is the same blind spot in psychology. The exact same blind spot in psychology for a very definite reason, which we will get to in in this video. Okay, so overview. I'm going to first talk about what civilization needs. What Western civilization, which I say is civilization. I mean, civilization is Western civilization. I'm going to talk about it. It needs three things at least, minimum. It needs truth. It needs ethics. And it needs... So it needs some truth outside of our consciousness. It, it needs a, a way that we adhere to that truth. That's what ethics is, right? Adhering to the truth. And, we, and it needs a process. It needs a regulatory system through which we can be ethical. Because unfortunately, even when we want to be ethical, we're not always ethical. Well, why is that? That Well, that's what civilization needs. I'm going to talk about Carl Jung's um, role, what Carl Jung would say about this debate, the debate of you know, Western civilization exists because of Christianity versus in spite of Christianity. He has a crucial point and nothing in this presentation I say is new all I am doing here is making what Carl Jung said more palpable because he wasn't the best communicator he was a really smart guy great ideas not a good communicator I want to you know be a polytarsis to his Jesus and then I'm going to talk about the question of civilizational Christianity. Do we need Christianity to have Western civilization? Hmm. Okay. Joinanimous.com slash feature. And I'm, I'm just going to say in advance that I'm probably going to need to pause because I'm pretty sure I had bronchitis. I was doing a lot better, but then I went to a my nephew's birthday party at an indoor trampoline park, which is actually more fun than you could imagine it to be. Uh, but I was 
you know, playing too hard, I hurt myself. Uh, joinanimus.com slash feature if you want to find out more about what I do. Okay, so let's get into it. What civilization needs. The first thing it needs is truth. So why does it need truth? Well, some external reference by which we regulate. You know, I talk about regulation and emotional regulation a lot on, the, on this channel. But regulate to what? There's always, I mean, I don't really talk about that too often because it's more of a philosophical question, but regulate to what? And what we regulate to is some truth outside of what we are. You know, independent of our consciousness. We need some, we need to communicate about the truth. And if there is no truth external to our psyches, then there's nothing to communicate to. Without truth, you only have power and control. That is it. And that is not civilization. Civilization is a civilization to the extent to which, hear my dog barking, the nanny's here, is the extent to which an individual can live apart from the tribe if he so chooses. Now, maybe uh, you could say um, our consciousness can go out and affect reality uh, to some capacity. Okay, that's fine. Maybe that's true, but there is still a reality. There is still a reality. There is still a truth outside of our consciousness. If, if we do have some psychic appendage through which we can influence reality um, through the, you know, whatever the, the quantum physics of our mind, you know, uh, that may be possible, but that's no different than saying we have a hand, we have a hand here that can go out and grasp and, and move this ball around. Yeah, I can affect external reality. I can uh, affect what is out there, but there is still a thing out there independent of my consciousness. Which is why apologies matter. In any relationship, whether it's two people or two billion people, apologies matter. Apologies aren't simply about saying what I did was wrong. Yes, that's part of it. But implied in what I did was wrong is there is some reality out there that is ultimately in charge of this relationship. And by apologizing, I acknowledge that reality. You know, guys talk about red flags and, and girlfriends and, you know, women talk about red flags and boyfriends. You know what the number one red flag is? Is uh, not whether you do something wrong or <laughs> if you have a stupid tattoo, it's can you apologize when you do something wrong? Can you apologize? It's okay to be imperfect, but can you speak to the truth? And, and, you know, and this alone, I mean, let me just say, I'm probably going to talk about this later, but it's coming up now. I mean, this alone is religious. I mean, this feels religious. You know, we, we talk about a uh, truth. And I, I mentioned this because Ian Hersiali talks about this in her essay about the importance of a transcendent truth. Well, I think there's a huge conflation in the word transcendent, a supernatural conflation. Now, when we use the term transcendent, something existing outside, over and above, supreme, we conflate that with supernatural. So that's the problem. 
That's the problem with truth from a Christian perspective. Because there is a truth in Christianity, and yes, we need that for civilization. And if you compare Christianity to postmodernism and philosophy, whatever is controlling you know, college campuses and part of a, you know, Bud Light's marketing campaign, then yeah, if those are your two options, you definitely need Christianity. But the problem with Christian truth is it places it in a higher realm. So it must necessarily be based on faith. It's indefensible, you know, and if we're talking about, you know, I and Hersey at least talking about becoming a Christian in a sense to defend Western civilization. Well, guess what? You are ascribing to a truth that is ultimately indefensible because she would say one of the enemies of Western civilization is uh, radical Islam. Well, guess what? Radical Islam uses the same philosophical defense of their ideas that a Christian would use of his, of his ideas. Faith, right? Either you get it or you don't, and you got to pray until you get it. There's really no argument for it which in itself wouldn't be so bad. But when there is a truth higher than yourself, this inevitably leads to a mind-body dichotomy, which is a huge problem in Christianity. Um, I don't think Christianity needs it. Of course, that's why I'm saying we, we still need Christianity. But, you know, where I'm going with this, let's, let's tease out some of the... Uh, more destructive, more insidiously destructive aspects of Christianity as Western civilization has been doing. And one of these, you know, destructive aspects of Christianity is the mind-body dichotomy, which inevitably happens when you place a truth in some higher, especially supernatural realm. Because then you have this higher part and this lower part. You have this higher truth and this lower truth. You have your ideals and you have your impulses and they're ultimately irreconcilable. All you can do is stamp out your lower impulses, you know, your sexual drive, things like that. And this just leads to self-denial and original sin. And, um, well, it's difficult, you know, if civilization is the defense of the individual, it's, it's difficult to say that the individual has original sin. I mean, why would, why would somebody who has original sin need to be defended. I mean, if they're sinful by their nature, yeah, they can save themselves. Well, no, they can't, not in Christianity. Look, that's not my point here. But the point is, is that truth in Christianity, yes, it exists, but it's ultimately indefensible and it leaves your civilization weaker because all you can say is, well, you know, look at the effects of Christianity now. I mean, we're doing a lot better than the Muslim world. Well, yeah, but that's better by what standard? Maybe you have the wrong standards, because all your standards are based on his faith, faith anyways. <clears throat> okay, then let's look at philosophical truth. Let's see if we can develop truth by some other uh, means. And yes, of course we can. This would be, uh, you know, I'm just going to talk about Aristotle here. The philosophical truth is that which, without which a discussion of truth is impossible. Right? So in order, so what is philosophically true is volition. Because you can't really talk about truth without volition, because what's the point? 
if you can't make a choice of what you identify the truth to be, then why even talk about the truth in the first place? Reality needs to exist out there. Because if, if reality doesn't exist, then what are we even talking about? If you come into a discussion of truth of reality doesn't exist and there is no truth, then the utterance of reality doesn't exist. There is no truth doesn't exist. Identity. Uh, same thing. You know, things need to be what they are. You can't say things can't be what they are because then I could say the same thing about your utterance of the argument. Things are not what they are. Well, that's, I could say the same thing about your argument. And same thing with causality. And this is all laid out by Aristotle. And I'm going to talk about what happened to Christianity and what we need to go back and fix with it. Because I think Christianity could have been something a lot better than it is. But something happened that took it off its path. We're going to talk about it. But, but the problem here, you know, I'm talking about truth with philosophy. I mean, this is probably just going over the heads of everybody because... I mean, what what truth? I mean, truth and philosophy. No, I mean the the this is all obscured by modern philosophy, which says that there is no truth. Modern philosophy, by the way, created by Kant, who was a Christian. Okay, so this is what happens when you have truth. Yeah, Christianity has truth. This is inevitably what happens. Christianity has truth. But in order to justify that truth in a higher realm, you need to delegitimize our connection with reality here in this realm, in what I see here. You need to um, eventually, the argument's going to come along from a really smart guy like Kant that says, your interaction with, with the reality out there as you see it, no, it's all... It's all an illusion. It's all just your, your brain projecting. It's all just your consciousness of your brain. And because we don't have access to reality out there, this is why we need Christian faith. So it's just hilarious to me that Christians are, are upset about what's going on in college campuses. Like, dude, this all came from a Christian. Oh, don't go back to Marx. No, the, the problem was there before Marx. Marx took the problems laid out by Hume and somewhat solved by uh, by Kant, not in this realm, but another realm. Whether the realm's outside of there, but the realm's in our brain, it's the, the truth isn't right out there in front of our faces. Um, yeah. So you can have a truth and you can project it into a higher realm, but it will lead to whatever is going on on college campuses right now that I'm sure a lot of Christians are upset about. But it doesn't matter how upset you are and how much you know you wave your fist at it. If you don't understand it, it doesn't matter. You can get upset at Muslims all you want, but if their claim to their truth is no more defensible than your claim to your own and it can't just be, oh, well, ours is working out better. So what? Why does that matter? Work out better. Why does it need to work out better? We're all living for some higher truth anyway. Hmm. Yeah. 
I just think it's funny that this problem with modern philosophy, it's, it comes from a Christian who is trying to disabuse the Enlightenment. Never forget. Okay, now I'll go to ethics. Another pillar of civilization that, that we need. Some agreement on an ethical code. Truth doesn't matter. Why we need it is because truth doesn't matter. The regulatory principle out there doesn't matter unless we adhere to it. And ethics is how we adhere to it. Ethics is how we act to adhere to this higher truth. This truth that, that exists outside of ourselves. Plus, it's the foundation of objective law, which is important part of civilization. I mean, that's, you know, one of the great things about America or in the West in general is everybody's traded the same under law. I know that's not really how it works out. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's because it, it doesn't work out that way to the extent that we have um, abdicated, have given up on objective truth that exists outside of ourselves. I don't know, I'm just repeating myself or being redundant. I just want to be clear about this because cause I, I think this is just, you know, really important. Um, yeah, yeah. you, you think uh, the court system doesn't work well in America? Uh, go to Mexico. Uh, try to get arrested in Mexico. By the way, I was arrested in Mexico. I don't know if I've talked about that too much, but uh, yeah, not exactly uh, objective, right? So that's why we need ethics anyway. Okay, so what's ethics when it comes to Christianity? It is the salvation of the soul. And this is an important part of Christianity and why I think it was, why Western civilization did grow out um, from Christianity or from Christians or Christianity. I don't think it really matters because that argument, there's a blind spot in that argument, which we're going to get to on building up to here. But implied in there is individualism. The salvation of your soul matters. The individual matters. But the problem is it's salvation for some higher truth in some other realm. So yes, your individual life matters. Maybe not here in this earth. But when you go up to heaven, you know, you know that, that, that big strong Roman who's, who's pushing you around. Right? He's... Um, He's living for this world. You're, you're living for some other world. So there, so look, um, and, and this is important. <clears throat> you know, we take these uh, concepts for granted now, but this is important. The idea that the idea that the actions that you take matter for you, not for anybody else, for you, they matter for you. The problem, of course, again, like with truth, is when the, the is when your actions are for another realm. This inevitably leads to self-denial, selflessness, the denial that you have a self, altruism, that the the sacrifice of yourself for somebody else. I use it in like the Randian way that she uses it. It's not benevolence. It's sacrificing your life for the sake of somebody else. And this leads to guilt and emasculation and, you know, eventually compensatory behavior. And so erratic behavior. And so instability when, you know, when trying to adhere to ethics. If civilization is about the individual, nothing is going to make the individual feel like he doesn't matter. 
or he's not in control of his life. And because he's not in control of his life, he, his life, his life, not the lives of people around him, not his entire environment, but his life, what he does with, with how he feels effectively. If you introduce these things like self-denial, altruism, guilt, emasculation, he's going to give up on his life and he's going to f- join some movement. He's, he's going to be join some collective, not because he philosophically ascribes to collectivism, but there's just no other way to live when you're con- constantly in this dissonance and you have no way to reconcile it. Well, effectively, no. I mean, we're going to talk about it with process, but no ultimate way. No fundamental way to reconcile. There's there's ways to, you know, kind of deal with uncomfortable feelings, but you're always going to be at war with yourself. So it's really just a matter of time. Okay. So then we have ethics and philosophy. You know, all this stuff is easily... Um, you know, I mean, that's the thing is, is when people talk about, oh, how can you have truth or how can you have ethics without God or without some supernatural thing. This stuff is all easily derivable from just the facts of reality, the the facts that we all accept. And I, I think this is more a symptom of the fact when you go to college and study philosophy, I mean, or in order for me to study, uh, Aristotle as an undergrad in college, I had to take a graduate seminar. I was taking graduate school classes you don't get this. I mean, you, you can get this a little bit in, you, I remember it was philosophy 301. We studied Plato and Aristotle, but it was mostly Plato because you can't really read Aristotle because it's really annoying and difficult and, and, you know, very difficult to get through. Um, but all this stuff is easily derivable. Look, if you have a consciousness that exists apart from reality, and if you have reality, then the implication is, your individual life matters because now your life depends on how well you can regulate to reality. And the only consciousness you have control over is your own. So it's baked into these fundamental truths without which we can't even talk about consciousness or reality in the first place. To put it another way, it's your needs come first. Which is abstract as concrete as I'm trying to make this be. This is abstract because you know, your needs, well, what are your needs? How do you distinguish those from so-called wants? Is there even a difference? What does it mean for them to come first in the context of other people out there have the same ethical code that you have? I, I would argue fundamentally. So there is a lot of discussion here and that this is what therapy does is it gets you in touch with what your needs and what it means to put them first in your life. You get really specific about this. You look at resistances that come up when you have needs. You'll get anger issues that come up when you try to put your needs first, when you try to communicate them. Can you even do that? So, you know, your needs come first. That's a, a there. There's a lot to talk about there. You know, 
It, it, well, it's difficult to, to apply that to your life, but you can do it. You can do it. Um, now, without this, modern ethics is basically, <clears throat> or ethics in modernity, without consciousness, without some external reality. Well, maybe there's an external reality that we reference, but there's no consciousness. What you get is utilitarianism, which is impossible and parasitic in its derivation because you're just doing some calculation of what causes the most pain and what causes the most pleasure. Never ask pleasure or pain by what standard. So it's ultimately going to be uh, uh, parasitic. It's ultimately going to derive from some other ethical code that you don't give credit to. It's not a it's not a thing. I mean, from utilitarianism, you get stuff like effective altruism, which is super lame. Okay. So now we're, I just want you to just put in some ideas out there as you can see. Well, how can we have... Right. We need some reality and some ethics. Christianity can do it. Philosophy can do it in a little bit different way. Do we really need Christianity for Western civilization? I think right now, in, the, in these two, from my perspective, I mean, you know, I already have my mind made up. Natural philosophy rooted in the correct ideas is it can give us all and more that Christianity can give us. But there may be something else that Christianity has that we do not have, that modern philosophy does not do very well, barely at all. We can talk about that. So what I'm saying is we need to take this this nugget, this truth of Christianity and apply it to and put it in a philosophical context. That's where I'm going with this. Well, I know that doesn't make sense, but we'll make it make sense. Okay, so process. Or yeah, I'll just say process. Or or what you need to do um to adhere to to ethics and effectively what this is is a recognition of the unconscious a recognition of there are forces out there that do affect you outside of your control otherwise if you learn an ethical principle that you believe to be true you would simply follow it and there would be no resistance to it or or anything else but clearly something else is there so what happens when we can't even adhere to ethics when we want to? And this is what Christianity does very well. Christianity does this. I mean, from from my perspective, I'm I'm biased because I mean I'm not a Christian, but right. I mean, who knows? And maybe somebody like I and Hersiali now, or I know Jordan Peterson would make this argument. Well, it's like Mark, you know, you're Armenian. Or part Armenia, at least, and that's like the oldest Christian country. So you know these ideas are are baked into your unconscious, and I get it. You know, with like the collective unconscious and patterns and everything, but whatever. Maybe I'm biased, but I, I think this is what Christianity does better than any other religion. Offers stories through which we understand ourselves. I mean, the Bible is just a bunch of people messing up. And so there's nat- you can't hear a story and not reflect on your own life and say, oh, they're messing up. What did they do to mess up? How am I messing up in the same way? 
I don't think everybody does this consciously when they read the Bible or, you know, whatever book or watch a movie, but I think this is always in the background. Symbols. Symbols are a way for us to make the psychology is, um, it's, it seems complex. I think when you don't really understand it, if you don't have a grasp on your emotions, it seems complex. So we need symbols that speak to important psychological functions like Jesus. I think that's an important symbol that speaks to the transcendent function, the importance of integration, the archetypes, the Holy spirit. Again, another great symbol that speaks to an important psychological fact, communion, vital, having dinner with your family. Effectively. That's what that is. And then mass, I mean, I'm not not a Catholic, I would never be a Catholic, but you got to look at, well, look, Jung, and I think volume 11, um, in his book on religion, he goes in this whole breakdown of the mass and how it is a ritual that symbolizes individuation, that symbolizes psychological growth. And, you know, I love Jung, I I think he does a fantastic, I mean, I went in there, I mean, I've read that multiple times now, but I remember the first time I went in there going, yeah, okay, okay, dude, I think this is, uh, you wrote this when you hit, or in your schizophrenic break, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know, it makes a lot of sense. So I think what Christianity does is take, look, it, it recognizes, that I think that's the, the, the power of Christianity is when you go to a church and you learn about these symbols. And you learn about how people in the Old Testament messed up and how Jesus came along and and was, you know, acted correctly. You're learning about the reality of your psyche and the effect that it can have on you. When you go to church and you sit there in the pew and you look up and they just symbol overload. I would totally go to church if nobody talked. And I enjoy going to church until the minister or priest or whoever starts talking and then they just totally mess it up. Like the Quakers did that, right? They would just sit in their pews for three hours and quake and start to shake because I think they, you know, you sit in a room and you just put up these symbols and it's like, yeah, your, your psychology is real. You're not going crazy. You try to adhere to these ethics, to this truth out there. And you can't do it. Going to church is like saying, hey, you know, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. Now, the the metaphysic behind it isn't great because ultimately they just, you know, say you're a sinner. But at least it's a recognition of, hey, yeah, we we all go through this. And here's this guy, Jesus, who you, you know, we want you to be like, but you're not going to be like him because, you know, you're not Jesus. Which I think is another problem, but. And this is what Christianity offers, right? It offers this regulatory um, stratum that can bind uh, that that can bind civilization together. It gives us uh, this regulatory mechanism through which, you know, and it's not perfect, but you can, you know, through which you can go out and learn about gravity or 
uh, you know, write out the ideas that, that are going to be the foundation of constitutional law. Okay. And then what's the process with philosophy, of course? I mean, this is what I complain about all the time. This would be psychology, and there, there is no process. Modern psychology is at best a hodgepodge. <clears throat> Any recognition of unconscious is vague or laughed at, you know, when it comes to, to Carl Jung. He's a, you know, a figure that's basically laughed at. Um, and this is, and this is what philosophy needs. Right? It's not like, oh, Christianity's right and philosophy's wrong or philosophy's right and Christianity's wrong. It's like, no, they're both speaking to different parts. They need each other. There's good parts of philosophy and there's good parts of Christianity. Uh, we need to figure out how to combine these two. Otherwise, civilization isn't going to continue. And this is what Young's point in this argument is of did civilization come from Christianity or Christian? What he would say is, <clears throat> well, both. Both, right? Now that we have, now that we live in the face of the Enlightenment, we can't do like Kant did and go back to this time before the Enlightenment. We need to take the facts of the Enlightenment. We need to take the this worldly philosophy of the Enlightenment and incorporate it in with Christianity. And the way you do that is you make Christianity this world you make Christianity of this world. It's not a story of gods and these people living outside of ourselves. It's a story of our own psyche. The holy is holy precisely because it exists in you, which only denigrates the holy if you accept the defunct philosophy of antiquity, which I'm going to get to here. The defunct philosophy being truth exists outside the Platonic philosophy that says truth only exists outside of yourself. You, you know, when I say Jesus is a symbol that you resonate with because it's it's a part of you, because you're Jesus. You know, that's the irony of Jesus, is everybody says, Oh, he's the God, but the only reason that we say that he is the God is because we relate with him. Because his story is everybody's story. So at the one time, and it just leads to this dissonance, which makes, which can make Christians crazy. This dissonance of he's the God. I only recognize him as a God that, cause I relate with him, but I can't relate with him. I have to say he's above me because he's a God. It's nice. And we need a, a, a you know, a symbol like Jesus out there that we can talk about. And, and think about and debate and ask how it applies to our lives. What does it mean when we put our needs first? How does that work? What does that look like? What does that feel like? <clears throat> like, what, what does it mean when, when Jesus got mad at that fig tree, right? Like, what is, what does that mean in the context of Jesus getting mad at that? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Let's talk about this. Right, and we're talking about this. We're not talking about whoever's going to win the next election. Right. So that's what Jung said. 
And what this means effectively is God is your unconscious. Jesus is integration of your opposite. It's integrating parts of your unconscious with your consciousness. And the Holy Spirit is the transcendent function, that which you tap into through connection with other people that shows you how to integrate your unconscious. It's just so funny to me. I mean, you know, th this is, yeah. And Okay, so you have this on one side, then you have Sam Harris on the other side saying, no, he, he has, he experiences God when he takes psychedelics. He finds purpose and meaning in life in psychedelics. Yeah, because that's what psychedelics do. They just put you in a waking dream state where you can experience your unconscious. It's all the same thing. And I think if Christianity is going to move on, we need to uh, recognize the philosophical faults with it, but also, you know, recognize what's good. So to the question of civilizational Christianity, the answer is, well, it depends. Yes, Christianity offered a regulatory function for civilization that I think kept it together, kept it stable, through which you had really smart people, really smart Christians who could ultimately lay out a foundation for Western civilization. But no, because Western civilization is in fact the philosophical antithesis of Christianity. The Enlightenment said, no, this world matters, not some other world. you got to live your life for this world. That's, um, that's you know, really vital. I mean, yeah, great analogy. Think of it like a really smart kid who comes from a dysfunctional family. And he grows up and he develops all these ideas and this way of living that's really healthy. Now, did he develop that because of his family? Well, again, yes and no. Knowing the fact that, look, I mean, these ideas that his philosophy for living his life is totally different than his family. Look, is his family, all they do is sit around and complain about other people. And he realizes that, well, you know, other people that are outside of my boundary. I only focus on what I can control, which is inside my boundary, which is, you know, what I see, whatever is, you know, six inches away from my, from my skin at all times. That's what I control. Everything else, that's up to something else. I don't know. So you say, well, no, he, the only reason that he's living a happy life is because he developed ideas apart from his family. But he also developed those ideas because of his family. Because look, it, you know, <clears throat> his mom and dad weren't perfect. They had their issues and his sister bullied him, whatever. But they, those are still important archetypes. Right, those are still species expected archetypes of a mom and a dad. And however imperfect they were, they did provide some regulatory function for him. Because without his mom and dad, he would have, you know, it would have been way worse. He would have grown up in foster care or something or, you know, in, in an orphanage. At least he had something something psychologically uh, conducive to his growth, however imperfect it was. And that's what Christianity is, right? Christianity is just like the, the crazy mom and dad. They're crazy. And I'm telling you, living for some higher realm, it will lead to problems eventually to the extent that you do it. It's going to lead to erratic behavior. It's going to lead to these compensations. That's okay. 
it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Christianity. I'm an, again, I'm an atheist. This is why I think we need Christianity because it, it puts these symbols out there in an effective way. In an effective way. So what really happened is that led to this Christianity being otherworldly, which I, I don't think it necessarily is a part of Christianity. Maybe it's not. Um, you know, like I read the Bible and I haven't read the whole thing. I've read the Old Testament and the Gospels and some of the New Testament. But I read this and I go, yeah, I agree with everything that's said here. Because I look at it from a psychological context. But what happened was, is Christianity was this sect that became popular for, you know, whatever reason. I think there is, I don't think it's magical. I think there, you know, Christianity was, there are a lot of sects at the growing, at, at the downfall of the Roman Empire. Christianity was one of them. And um, and it became popular for very definite reasons. I can get to that in another video. Uh, and, and what I think it looked like is a, a, essentially what 12-step is today. It's people uh, gathering in a group, admitting their sins. And then what happened is you had Christian apologists. And these are guys like Plotinus and Augustine put poor philosophy on top of Christianity. They took this movement and they turned it into a philosophy, but they uh, weren't using, um, but, but they were using the philosophy that was popular of the day, which was Platonism, not Aristotelianism. So they were learned guys who put that philosophy on top of this sect, on top of this group therapy that was happening. And then that's why you got the poor philosophy. And that's why you got Christians, when you, when you admit your sin, and I, I don't mean that in the Christian sense, right? Just the, the famously, the Aramaic translation, it means to miss the mark. When you, when you admit your sin, it necessarily means something bad about you and there's nothing you can really do about it except to admit it and to admit how everybody else is a sinner just like you are. And then you're off to the races, right? And then it's really, you go from there to the dark ages real fast. You have no freedom, you have no autonomy. Um, no, no real social progress. Is that a fault of Christianity? I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with Christianity that, that led to that. So what we need to do is replace Plato with Aristotle and Gnosticism. I mean, I know there's a lot of conflation between Gnosticism and the Hermetica, but Gnosticism is these spirits are outside of us. The Hermetica is, no, they exist within you. So we have like a Aristotelian Hermetica Christianity, and I think that would be uh, maybe get something like existential Christianity, Christianity based on this world. And I'd just say this to continue to evolve it, evolve this thought, <clears throat> this psychological substratum of society. We need something like this, and I wouldn't want to come up with something new. I mean, that, that sounds silly at this point, especially since, at least in the West, the symbols of Christianity are, are well known and usually talked about. Um, 
Plus, if you came up with some other religion, they would end up looking a lot like Christianity anyway, so whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so this way we can keep Christianity and continue to evolve it as it has been evolving, you know, ever since uh, ever since its inception. Joinanimous.com slash book if you want to learn more about my ideas and how I think we can develop a uh, more natural process through which we adhere to uh, an ethical code that adheres us to some objective truth. It begins with how we manage emotions, how we talk through them. We need to understand this. If we're going to reconcile these supposedly two two opposites, science and religion, you know, um, existentialism, Christianity, there's anger, there's anxiety. Uh, and again, joinanimous.com slash feature if you want to uh, learn more about what I do. All right, thank you guys. And I wish you all the joy and pain that comes from dealing with the reality of your unconscious.